Hey everyone, this is Dr. Michael Walden. You're listening to Ask the Blood Detective. So those of you that listen to my show regularly know that I have done uh, two shows on COVID-19 covering the uh, nutritional angle of uh, COVID-19 infection. What I wanted to do today was talk about the importance of nutrition in general and nutrition specifically for the immune system, but also nutrition for inflammation and antioxidant capacities. And the reason I'm covering those topics is because all of those things that I mentioned and a few other topics we'll be talking about today are involved not only in COVID-19 infection, the coronaviruses, but in all of the comorbid conditions that are associated with worse outcome from COVID-19. But we still have other infections to worry about in society. We have other illnesses. So I want to have a more balanced conversation about the nutrition for COVID-19 and the rest of our health risk factors. I want to start by summarizing for you an article that occurred in the Journal of Nutrients. And yes, there is a, an article called Nutrients in uh, 2020, this year in April, uh, called Optimal Nutritional Status for a Well-Functioning Immune System an important factor to protect against viral infections. So to begin with, here's an article that's recent that talks about how nutrition clearly favorably impacts infection. It impacts the rate of infection by lowering it and also shortens the duration of infection and reduces the severity of infection, but is still not talked about at all in any official uh, way uh, that you'll hear on the news, either by the CDC, the, the WHO, or the FDA. You know, public health practices, including hand washing and vaccinations, help reduce the spread and impact of infections. We know this. But nevertheless, the global burden of infection is very high. And again, not just for COVID-19, but for many other infections. And additional measures are clearly needed because these uh, infection rates are so high and cause so many deaths. So for example, acute respiratory tract infections, which we know are the probably the number one or number two condition of, of COVID infections that when the infection causes death, it's generally because of lung inflammation. So as I mentioned, acute respiratory tract infections are responsible for approximately 2.38 million deaths worldwide since 2016. That's a lot of deaths from acute respiratory infections. And all of these individuals are more predisposed to a premature death. The role that nutrition plays in supporting the immune system is also very well established. And this is according to the study I just mentioned to you in the journal Nutrients. So when you hear about nutrition uh, not being a value and that you should ignore uh, anything about nutritional supplements, I respectfully must uh, disagree because that is simply not consistent with what the medical and nutritional uh, literature says about the role of nutrition in infection. So for example, 
a wealth, I mean, so much research and clinical data show that vitamins, including vitamins A, uh, B6, B12, vitamin C, vitamin D3, vitamin E, and folate. Also, many of the trace elements, which include zinc, iron, selenium, which we'll talk about in a little bit, magnesium and copper, and the omega-3s, particularly the eucosinopentanoic acid and the decosinohexanoic acid, play essential and vital roles, um, complementary roles, in fact, in supporting our immune systems. Now, inadequate intake um, and status of these nutrients is widespread among the world's population, so we know this. And if the nutrition is depleted worldwide, then these are individuals that are more susceptible to bad outcomes from infection with uh, COVID, but also early morbidity and mortality from any reason whatsoever. Before I continue, I just want to introduce myself to everyone who is uh, new to the show and, and a thank you actually for contacting me. Many of you have contacted me through email, thanking me for the show's content and how you've been listening to uh, Gary Knowles' radio show for many, many years and that you appreciate the uh, different approach that I also give. So thank you so much for that. Anyone wishing to reach me could call me at 914-552-1442 and feel free to email me your questions and show topic ideas at info at blooddetective.com. And if you'd like to visit my website, which is loaded with free content, you can do that by going to drmichaelwald.com. That's no spaces, drmichaelwald.com. So we can see here that there are, there is plenty of data suggesting that nutrition is essential for our immune systems. So really what we're talking about here is Nutrition should not just be an afterthought for COVID or any other health problem. It must be a fundamental way in which a person maintains and improves their health. And it is, it is very much true in my 30 years of experience, at least I find it true, that you have to begin personally designed nutritional approaches in the form of diet and nutritional supplements that are for you so that you can prevent infections. If you're going to wait until you get COVID-19 or get heart disease or diabetes or cancer, et cetera, et cetera, uh, you are going to have a much poorer outcome than if you prep yourself beforehand. So, you know, against the background of, of, of a huge amount of data, we can make a couple of conclusions about nutrition beyond those that I've just said. So one is that supplementation with micronutrients and omega-3 fatty acids we know that they are safe, we know that they are effective, and they are a low-cost strategy to help support optimal immune function, not just normal immune function. Physicians don't know what optimal immune function is. They only know when things are in a normal range, but there is, the, uh, there is a difference. One of the things that I do with my patients is I will compare many of their blood results to regular ranges. And again, some of you who have heard my prior shows know what I'm gonna say. Those regular blood ranges for, let's say, your cholesterol, your magnesium, your zinc, and whatever else are based upon studies of average individuals that are seemingly well. They're not based upon studies of exceptionally healthy people. So, for example, as a 54-year-old man, one might say that I have, let's say, let's just say I had a normal fitness level, whatever that is. You know, I could do certain things, I have certain flexibility, a certain amount of strength. But maybe I don't want a normal average 
amount of, of, let's say, physical health as a 54-year-old, but I want an optimal amount. So what would that look like? Well, since COVID-19 has started, I'm doing a lot more hiking, except rather than walking the hiking trails, which go up quite a distance and at quite an elevation, I'm actually jogging up them. Um, at first, I made it a third of the way. The next week, I made it two-thirds of the way. My point is that this is already an optimal amount of fitness and specifically an optimal amount of cardiac and lung function. But if I didn't do any of those things and I was pretty good without that, not able to run up a mountain, for example, but I would be considered to have normal physical health for 54-year-olds. So just like with nutrition, there are normal levels and then there are optimal levels. But having said that, what is an optimal level of a nutrient for protection against COVID-19 or anything else? Well, first of all, I have to, of course, give the disclaimer now with COVID-19 that there are no studies essentially uh, looking at the use of diet, food, or any real lifestyle measures um, for COVID-19. So I can't claim to have those answers. But I can claim to say that the, the information I'm going to give you is from real studies and or what I have learned from many studies over the course of 30 plus years. And then you need to take the individual, which is you, and do specific tests to then optimize nutrient levels. And that's done in a variety of different ways. And I'll talk about some of those ways as we move along. Even the study that I've been quoting from the journal Nutrients in 2020 said that supplementation above the recommended daily allowance, above the RDAs, but within recommended upper safety limits for specific nutrients like vitamin D and C is absolutely warranted. I need you to hear this. I'm going to say it another way, more simply. Vitamin C, to have normal levels, would, would be within a specific range on your blood test when that test is run. But this study is saying that you are better off having your vitamin C levels and in the upper end of that normal range. That's more optimal. So more is better with vitamin C, more is better with vitamin D, as long as it's not a toxic level of vitamin D. A toxic level would look like a high calcium or a uh, elevation of one or more uh, liver enzymes. If your vitamin D levels are high on the blood test, most doctors will reduce it. They might even say it's potentially toxic, but it's not necessarily. It's only if that vitamin D raises the calcium level causing hypercalcemia and or if it uh, raises one or more of the liver enzymes. So I want to talk about now a slightly different but related conversation about nutritional status and COVID-19 specifically. A lot of this information was from the Journal of, uh, or is from the Journal of Clinical Medicine in, again, 2020, so very recent. In fact, April 27th, days ago. So we know a few facts. We know that the coronavirus disease or COVID-19 pandemic has placed, has placed many healthcare systems, including um, the National Institutes of Health and others, under unprecedented pressure. Mortality appears to be highest among older people, and we've heard this in the news, and those with comorbidities, which is a fancy term for lots of other health problems. They're hypertensive, they have autoimmune disease, they have chronic inflammatory diseases, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and also who are also often the most, we should say that the older population, I mean, is uh, the one more predisposed to undernutrition in society. 
So when we say that someone that's older has a higher risk, why is that? Now, first of all, there doesn't have to be one reason. In fact, there's not. But one of the reasons is we simply say because they're old, but that's not a reason. Being old is a description. But being old does tend to be associated with undernutrition, poor nutrition. Maybe older individuals don't have all their teeth uh, and they tend to undereat, which we know is actually a very common uh, cause of undernutrition. And or they take medications that affect their appetite. They have low appetites and they don't eat as much. Uh, or um, there's malabsorption where they're eating what seems to be fine, but they do not absorb the nutrients as well as they need to. And despite international efforts to identify a specific treatment, therapy for COVID-19 remains supportive only and is principally focused on optimizing respiratory function, which is a pretty limited, immediate, although important, approach. By palliative, I mean that People with COVID-19 go into hospitals if they should go into hospitals, if they're bad enough. Uh, and that would usually mean they have um, lung involvement at that point. And they're given a palliative support with IV fluids and respirators. And um, that's pretty much it. So the individual in the hospital is basically hoping that they survive in spite of these hospital measures that are very limited. Now, as limited as they are, they do seem to reduce the mortality of a COVID-19 patient. So we need them, but we also may need more. Part of the more, I believe, has to do with the identification and the correction of undernutrition because Correcting those factors has the potential to improve outcomes uh, and also cost effectiveness in hospitals. They need to remember that because hospitals are all about making money, particularly if they're private hospitals. And if they just realize for two seconds that providing this nutrition would make them more money, but also help more people, I'm sure that they would do it. Now, poor nutritional status in a person like yourself or someone else who gets COVID-19 or any health problem may predispose the person to a worse outcome. And that makes sense, obviously, right? If you've got poor nutrition, you get another condition, another disease, an infection, viral infection, for example, you can have a poor outcome. But also, getting sick itself in enhances your nutritional needs that are often not met. So it's a double whammy right there. We've got the disease that afflicts a person in a particular way if they're malnourished or malabsorbing or both, and then if they should get sick, the sickness itself hyperutilizes nutrition. So those are two factors that undermine the success or outcome of any treatment for a COVID-19 patient or anyone else who gets sick of any condition, I would say, uh, at all. So practical steps to improve nutritional status at a time when hospital services are very, very stretched is certainly a challenge, but it's it's essential and it must be done. Now, what that would look like is giving those same IV bags, but maybe putting some extra vitamin C in it, injecting some B-complex and a multi-mineral with slightly higher amounts of selenium. Just that alone, along with zinc and other minerals, uh, should make a huge impact upon outcome. So given that, let's 
let's back up for a second and let's talk just a little bit about how the immune system works. Because if we have a better understanding of how the immune system works, that'll help us choose what methods are needed to combat whatever health problem we have. The immune system is one of the most complex body systems made up of a network of cells and molecules and tissues and organs, and they're all working together to protect the body. For those of you who want more details than I'll even review here about the immune systems, you can look at my radio show called Everything Immune. And I also have another one on inflammation and everything digestion. These are all fundamental shows, but they're like master's degree shows, meaning that I stuff those shows with a lot of practical materials. They basically have the same material that I would present to health professionals because I know that people listening to this station and this show are a lot more sophisticated and knowledgeable. So I made sure to include a lot more info there. But to give you just an idea, we have the cell-mediated immune system, the complement immune system, and the humoral immune system. And each of these systems work together, more or less. But the only ones, one that you tend to hear about now is the cell-mediated immune system when, let's say, a doctor draws your blood work, and then a discussion about your white blood cells might take place. So white blood cells are cells, so therefore they're part of the cell-mediated immune system, the part of the immune system that is, is managed through the movement of cells. And COVID-19 has an effect upon the lymphocytes, which are the antiviral cells, but also the neutrophils with the antibacterial cells. Generally speaking, when a person gets an infection and it becomes a chronic infection, and then the infection goes away, their lymphocytes generally will remain low on their blood work and their neutrophils will be slightly high, which means that the immune system has been disrupted permanently in some way. But in medicine, there's really very little to, I should say no attempt really, to manage that except by some holistic providers that seem to understand uh, more about this area. So it's very, very complex. And its complexity sometimes will not allow our immune systems to respond acutely to an infection like COVID-19. Meaning that if you get the infection and you, and you improve your nutrition, it may not be enough to impact your immune system fast enough for it to make any real difference. That's why prevention is the way to go. Now, the only way really to get around whether or not nutrition could make an immediate difference in an acute infection that you have like right now or you've had for just a few days is through the use of intravenous nutrition or intramuscular nutrition. But the thing is, most people who receive or know anything about intravenous nutrition, and I wrote the only book on intravenous nutritional protocols uh, that's published in the United States, and I've taught a lot of seminars on it. But IVs, intravenous nutrition, does not contain all the nutrition that a person needs. And even if it did, you'd have to get it every day. And that would be prohibitively expensive and inherently risky because every time you puncture the skin, you increase risk of more infections and other complications. So I've heard some people say, well, we need to be giving people or hospitals need to be giving intravenous vitamin C or let's say other nutrition as well. There are not enough IV bags, there are, which are, by the way, PCP contaminated. Uh, the, the tubes are also contaminated with plastics that leach, but there just are not enough tubing. There's not enough IV bags. There's not enough needles. 
there's probably not enough vitamin C. So it's simply not practical. What can be done, though, is preparing. So adhering to a healthy diet will provide ongoing support to your immune system, and that could delay the process of what's known as immunosenescence. So immunosenescence is considered a natural and gradual deterioration of your immune system as you get older. But most immunosenescence or immune deficiency that occurs as you get older is not at all from aging. It's concomitant with aging, meaning poor aging from poor diet, from too much stress, from too many medications, from too much pollution, from too many heavy metals, from too much fungal, from too much inflammatory. I can go on and on. Uh, that's what causes immunosenescence, which is, again, lowered immunity as we get older. And that's associated with loss of lean muscle mass, which is associated, again, with lower immunity and poor nutrition and the whole thing. So that is something that has to be protected against. And people need to exercise. Even in my practice of 30-something years, even those at the top end of the intelligence scale of I take these this bag of nutrients and I juice and all that stuff and I eat well, a lot of these people don't exercise properly. Exercise acts as a stimulus to maintain lean mass, to improve lung function, to improve lymphatic flow, blood circulations, cardiovascular function, hormone balance, digestion, nervous system functioning, all of those things, exercise has the potential of improving. And I've got news for you. Yoga alone, as wonderful as it is, is not going to do it. It's not going to strengthen your cardiovascular system near the levels it, you could do that with just any other aerobic exercise. But there's no replacement for yoga, for example, for everything from stress reduction to mind-body awareness and uh, meditative type of, of practice, a uh, flexibility, of course. And there is a reduction in cardiovascular and improvement in lymphatic flow. There's all kinds of improvements with yoga, but not to the level we need. We need aerobic work that elevates your heart rate at some percentage of your maximum heart rate, depending upon your age and other health conditions. That's a lot of stuff <laughs> to say there. But if you visit the right healthcare provider, he or she will help figure that out for you. I do that with my patients. I even work them out in the gym I have in my office to make sure they're doing everything right. So it's critical to be exercising. And most people also say to me, I exercise, and when they describe their exercise, they think exercise is just like running around a lot, doing lots of things that's not exercise. If you do not push and have your body adapt, it will maladapt. If you don't push with an excellent diet, if you don't push with nutritional supplements, if you do not push with physical exercise, you will lose it. You will, it's use it or lose it. So I've set myself up on a longevity plan that consists of nutrients, even some medications for anti-aging effects because now, guess what folks? Out of Harvard, we've determined something that everyone in holistic health has always known, but it's brand new to Harvard and everyone else, is that Aging is basically a disease. The way in which people are aging is basically a disease. And because that now has been accepted, officially speaking, there'll be approaches about, to, about slowing that and or reversing the process of aging, something that even a few years ago, if you said that, you might lose your license. But now we know that aging is, um, for the most part, not a natural process.
So can nutrition boost your immune systems? Yes, it can. But I want to read you a couple of things or describe to you a few things from um, the British Diabetic Association regarding COV uh, ID uh, 19. Simply put, they said, you cannot boost your immune system through diet and no specific food or supplement will prevent you from catching COVID-19 or the coronavirus. That is true. You can expect your diet to, uh, or your supplementation to prevent you from catching it. But you can expect that if you do catch it and your nutrition is excellent, you will have a better outcome. But the British Diabetic Association correctly says that good hygiene practices remain the best means for avoiding infection, which include social distancing, of course. There are many nutrients that are involved in the normal functioning of the immune systems. And this is why maintaining a healthy, balanced diet, along with supplements, is the best way to support immune function. So here are some of the uh, more effective immune nutrients, in my opinion. Copper, folic acid in a methylated form, iron, selenium, zinc, Vitamin A, B6, B12, vitamin C, and D. Also essential fatty acids. There are others. If you go to my website and look under the contact link at the top of the page, there'll be a drop-down menu which will have all of the COVID-19 nutrients that I suggest that I've put all together in a packet. So at drmichaelwald.com, just look at the contact drop down and you'll see the rest of the nutrients. Now, these nutrients are based on some studies of the immune system, uh, particularly the immune system relative to cancer because you want to maintain the immune systems of people with cancer, obviously, uh, with certain nutrients and those are, that's a similar goal to COVID-19. So as you would imagine, the nutrients would be the same. But it would be these nutrients, but their doses and even their timing might be very specific for um, you, uh, what your health issues are, what your health goals are, what medications are you taking, how much sleep do you get, how much alcohol do you consume, do you have malabsorption? There's other factors, genetics, that have to do with your need for these and your need for other nutrients as well that are not on this list. And at least according to the a British Diabetic Association, they say that no food is recommended over another and eating a variety of foods will help to maintain a healthy, balanced diet. Well, maybe. Um, yes, for individuals, there should be an emphasis of some foods over others. If someone has thick blood, they may need more omega-3 fatty acids and fish. If someone has cardiovascular disease, they may need more fish. They may need more fiber, fruits, vegetables. You get the idea. So there's no healthy, balanced diet. There is a healthy, balanced diet for each person. And the immune or the immunoprotection of many of these nutrients that, you know, that they afford on the body is because many of them act on a number of different pathways. Some of them, the nutrients I just mentioned before, C, D, B12, B6, A, zinc, selenium, iron, folic acid, and copper, they're antioxidants. So oxidation is bad. Oxidation is a chemical reaction that damages cells. So COVID-19 causes extreme oxidative stress in all areas of the body. It affects the entire body. And the lungs seem to be the most susceptible 
uh, and they just blow up with, with oxidized uh, inflammatory changes. But as a general rule, okay, the most suitable first line of defense in supporting the immune system against infection, including uh, COVID-19, is the same again as I would use for cancer. One is to be a healthy weight. But to take that a step further is to have the best body composition you can, the best ratio of lean organ mass to intra and extracellular water to fat mass. And the best, the better that it's maintained, the better your immune system will function. And that requires a bioimpedance test to figure out. You need to be physically active. Physical activity exercises every system of the body, which makes it more resistant to the adverse effects of infections or any other health problem. You want to eat whole grains, fruits, vegetables, beans, as long as you don't have any allergies to them. You want to eat those foods and you want to make sure that they're GMO free. You want to limit or absolutely eliminate fast foods. Fried and fatty foods, sugary foods are um, terrible for the body in a number of ways. Uh, Sugary foods reduce the immune system, they're pro-inflammatory, and they increase risk of infection rates and make infections worse once you actually have them. You want to limit uh, red and processed meat uh, consumption. Uh, Meat products are highest in arachidonic acid, which is one of the most inflammatory foods there is, if not the most inflammatory. So if you eat inflammatory foods, you become inflammatory. It really is as simple as that. You want to limit sugar-sweetened drinks. You know, I'll admit this to you this morning. Um, I had a glass of orange juice. Now, I, I almost never drink juices, but I bought some orange juice when this whole COVID-19 thing started. I, th- I thought it couldn't hurt to have it in the house, but I hadn't touched it until this morning and I, I drank it. I want to say two things about it. Number one, orange juice is delicious. <laughs> it's so good. But having said that, I'm not going to have it again. I'm going to finish up the container. The reason I'm telling you this in a silly way is that I was imagining as I was drinking this and savoring every delicious sip of it was every sip was like the equivalent of a whole orange. And I had like 20 oranges. So that is terrible for the body's blood sugar level. And fluxes in blood sugar sugar tend to be associated with all causes of morbidity and mortality. If you want to kill yourself sooner, eat lots of sugar. Now, The sugar in orange juice is fructose. And fructose in an orange, when you're eating an orange and the pulp and the flesh, that doesn't have the same effect on the body as when you drink orange juice. It's drinking, you know, tons of oranges at one time or carrot juice or whatever other juice without the fiber. That's a dangerous thing if it's done on a regular basis. So I hope I hope I made my point. You know, an interesting thing though about orange juice, because you know that comes up a lot when people say, um, when you say, well, you know, vitamin C is good for the immune system and they'll say, well, I, I drink orange juice. And then I said, well, you know, a glass of orange juice is about 60 milligrams of vitamin C. And the average individual, average woman, needs about three to 5,000 milligrams and men between five and 7,000. 
So 60 milligrams is the recommended daily allowance, which means if you literally lived in a scientific experiment and what they call in a vacuum, where there were no, no other influences on your body, which of course is impossible, but just, just imagine this for a minute. You live in a vacuum and you have uh, 2,500 milligrams of vitamin C in your body. But just because of the normal metabolism that occurs, even though everything else is unchanged and you're in a vacuum and no other influences are there, it takes 60 milligrams of orange juice to keep the 2,500 in your body at that number. But as soon as you add heat or cold or stress or anxiety or lack of sleep or too much exercise or too little exercise or viruses or cancer or whatever, then your body burns up that 60 milligrams, then starts burning up all the uh, 200, I'm sorry, 2,500 milligrams in your body. So the recommended daily allowance of 60 milligrams of vitamin C, as I've said in this very roundabout way, is the minimum amount of vitamin C to prevent a deficiency disease. It is not an optimal amount by any stretch of the imagination. And sadly, uh, governments are uh, and other organizations which should know better are saying, don't take supplements, don't take supplements. You know, I don't understand it other than it's ignorance. And ignorance is bliss. Um, I would say that you need to do your own research on that. But I, I believe in what I'm telling you because not only because of this 30 plus years of, of clinical experience that I have, which I keep <laughs> saying, but I did go to chiropractic school. I learned a few things about health. I did go to medical school. I learned nothing about health, but I did learn things about disease. Uh, I became a dietitian, a certified nutrition specialist, a sports nutritionist. I have two board certifications in nutrition. I have a master's degree in nutrition. I think I'm quite qualified to tell you, take vitamins if you determine the right vitamins. And when I say vitamins, I mean vitamins, minerals, nutraceuticals, all of that stuff. Uh, it will make a difference. There's just tons of studies that say that. Um, and I have experience that shows that. So the thing is also that uh, good nutrition supports the body throughout the life course from birth to old age if it's done right. A balanced diet, again, whatever that is for you, including all food groups minus red meat, okay, uh, supports an effective immune system and may provide protection against all kinds of infections, not, not to mention cancers and other diseases. Now, some of you are thinking, wait a second, wait a second, but what about the best diet? Is it, is it a plant-based diet? Is it a paleo diet? Um, the thing is, if I had to choose the best fundamental diet for everyone, it would have to be a plant-based diet. But that plant-based diet must be tailored to you. Because if it's lower in protein than what you need, you're going to have a low immune system. You are going to lose lean body mass, which is just bad. It's just not going to be for you. The concept that there is a diet for someone or for everyone, like let's say a paleo or a plant diet, does make some sense in that, yeah, yeah, we all need these plant foods and maybe more of them than anything else. I do believe that. But for us to not personalize it for each person's needs is not only ridiculous and, and just outright stupid, but it loses uh, the opportunity that the individual has of maximizing their health. So a balanced diet, again, including whatever foods that you need to support your immune system, that will provide you the best protection against all-cause disease. So 
I wanted to read you a couple of quotes about selenium and uh, the COVID infections. Very interesting. So an international team of researchers led uh, by Professor Margaret Raymond at the University of Surrey has identified a link between COVID-19 curate and regional selenium status in China. Very interesting. Listen to this. Publishing their findings in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition, researchers using data investigated possible links between selenium levels in the body and cure or death rates of those with COVID-19 virus in China. Selenium is an essential trace element obtained from the diet. We know that. You get it from fish. You get it in cereals, which may have been found to affect the severity of a number of viral diseases in animals and humans, so not just COVID-19. For example, selenium status in those with HIV has been shown to be an important factor in the progression of the virus to AIDS um, and death from the condition. China is known to have populations that have both the lowest and the highest selenium status in the world, and that's due to... um, what they call geographical differences in the soil, which affects um, how much selenium, uh, the trace element selenium, gets into the food chain. Very interesting. And additionally, uh, Margaret Raymond, professor of nutritional medicine at the University of Surrey, said, quote, given the history of viral infections associated with selenium deficiency, we wondered whether the appearance of COVID-19 in China could possibly be linked to the belt of selenium deficiency that runs from the north to the east to the south to the west of the country. Wow. You know, you've heard also in the news that um, uh, African-American populations seem to have a much higher uh, infection rate and death rate. And um, I've heard some talk about that being, you know, maybe involving some sort of prejudicial uh, issues against African Americans, uh, that may be true. I don't have time to to address that here, or nor am I qualified to. But um, it also is true that the the increased infection rates are in populations of African Americans that are poorer, and that means they are undernourished. And my guess is that they are lower in protein and selenium and zinc and all sorts of factors. Um, that need to be addressed, not just in the African-American poor populations, but in everyone. Examining data from provinces and uh, municipalities with more than 200 cases and cities with more than 40 cases, researchers also found that areas with high levels of selenium were more likely to recover from the virus. For example, in the city of Enshi in uh, Hubei uh, province, Uh, which has the highest selenium intake in China, the cure rate, the percentage of, you know, COVID-19 patients declared cured was almost three times higher than the average for all other cities in Yubei province. Now, by contrast, in another province where selenium level intakes uh, actually is among the lowest in the world, the death rate from COVID-19 was almost five times as high as the average of all of the other provinces outside of Yubei, China. Now, most convincingly, researchers found that COVID-19 curate was significantly associated with selenium status as measured by the amount of selenium in hair in 17 cities outside of Yubei, China. 
Now, I'm not a big fan of hair analysis, except in extreme cases of deficiency where the hair will grow out of a deficient body and be therefore deficient in selenium. But uh, selenium, for a lot of reasons, is uh, not really uh, very accurate. Um, and we can talk about that on another show. It's overutilized. It is not uh, very uh, repeatable. And even at best, the levels of selenium in the hair tell you the levels of selenium or absence of it in the hair or any other nutrients in the hair and not in different cells of the body. But it is interesting to see that there seems to be a correlation between hair selenium in this population of undernourished people, which we are not undernourished. Okay? And then uh, Kate Bennett, a medical statistician at the University of Surrey, said uh, there's a significant link between selenium status and COVID-19 cure rate. However, it's important not to overstate this finding, she says, because we've not been able to work with individual level data and have not been able to take into account other possible factors such as age and underlying disease. So those are pretty big factors. But it's interesting though, that there may be the selenium connection. Um, Rame Saad, a doctor at Royal Sussex County Hospital, uh, currently uh, taking uh, an MS degree in nutritional medicine at the Department of Nutritional Sciences, commented, the correlation we have identified is compelling. They're talking about selenium deficiency and COVID-19, particularly given previous uh, research on selenium and infectious disease. As such, a careful and thorough assessment of the role of selenium uh, may play in COVID-19 is certainly justified and may help guide ongoing public health decisions. So if selenium is such a factor, when we look deeper, we're going to find other factors. A lot of them are what I call holistic common sense. They're the, the people with high sugar intakes and meat intakes and fried and fatty foods that don't exercise with comorbid conditions. Clearly, they're going to get more disease and it'll be worse for them. So this is why we need to do nutritional testing and we need to find out the levels of nutrition in individuals like yourself uh, so that we can address your specific needs because nothing will be better than addressing your specific needs rather than making generalizations. Okay, so let's talk for a minute about some basics. We know now that social distancing, and, and we've always known it, and regular hand washing are the most effective and proven methods to reduce risk and spread of COVID-19. However, along with general questions on how to safely shop for and prepare food, um, there's a lot of people that reach out to me about what should I be eating, how should I be cooking it? Well, think vegetarian and then think organic and free range as you make your choices of animal products. Take nutritional supplements like nutritional chelators because if you're eating any fish, you're gonna have some metal uh, accumulation there. And beyond that, it really just has to be determined uh, for the individual. But I would say, again, don't overcook foods. Um, you don't have to eat most of your diet raw because that also is unhealthy uh, for most individuals unless it's done in short periods of time. And uh, avoid refined and processed um, foods. And the thing is that there are thousands of studies that talk about the best foods and supplements 
for maintaining the immune system in whether it's coronaviruses, maybe not the novel coronavirus, and other diseases. But what these studies do not do is personalize it for you. How could they? We'd want to look at your immune system, your levels of inflammation, your blood pH, a few other tests which we're going to talk about. But your nutrition is based on those things I've just mentioned, plus whatever specific diseases you might have, how your body is actually aging. Do you have malabsorption? That's a key factor because even if you knew tomorrow all the nutrients that you would need to deal with health problems the best that you could, if you're malabsorbing what you're eating and the supplements you're taking, you're clearly undermining yourself. And if you're taking supplements that are not pharmaceutical-grade supplements, that's a problem as well. Most companies are not pharmaceutical-grade. I only use pharmaceutical-grade supplements. And if there's any of you who would like me to suggest to you specific supplements for specific things by the right companies, email me at info at blooddetective.com. So you might email me, okay, what's the best zinc? What's the best fatty acid and probiotic to take? Uh, I'll let you know my thoughts. I won't recommend my own supplements other than to say I do have a COVID-19 nutritional pack that you know no one else is making. Uh, but other than that, uh, when you ask me those sorts of questions, I will recommend other companies and give you their contact data so you can get on the right nutrients from good companies, if not great companies, right away. So let's talk just a little bit more about the relationship between nutrition and immunity. Because there is a relationship, and it is both direct and indirect. So we've known for a very long time that nutrition is intricately linked to immunity and to the risk and severity of infections. This is stuff right out of basic infectious disease textbooks. But if basic nutrition is that important, why isn't it talked about? Well, again, I can only imagine that it's not because it's not emphasized in medical schools. It's not emphasized in medical schools because historically, the study of nutrition had to do with home economics courses and cooking classes in uh, state colleges, for example, and, that, and mostly women took those courses. Now, this may seem like a strange sort of digression I just took there, but there's a book on the history of uh, how a lot of things in medicine happen. And, there, and this book that I read years ago described this exact historical fact that because of the prejudice around, well, I should say because of the patriarchal society and the suppression of women and women uh, taking home economics courses, which in, included cooking, there was some nutrition there. And because it was there, it, it's not considered important enough for anyone else. And it's, we've sort of grown from that place. And that's one of the reasons why we have um, moved forward so very, very slowly in the area of nutrition, basically because of lack of updated thinking. And science, the science is there. So as I said, immunity is directly linked to severity and risk of infections. Poorly nourished individuals are at a higher or greater risk of various bacterial, fungal, and other sorts of infections. Now conversely, chronic and severe infections lead to nutritional disorders or they worsen the nutritional status of people. So whether infections or your health problem is caused by nutrition or results in nutrition, nutrition plays a major role in recovery. So when you think about this, it's, it's imperative for 
all of us to pay attention to our diet and our nutritional status uh, during the ongoing COVID pandemic and hopefully the, after that. And whatever you were doing before the COVID-19 pandemic, nutritionally speaking, you need to change it because it's not the same world anymore. And we know a few things now. We know that COVID-19 is not going away. It is endemic in the world population, just like measles and um, the flu. They're, they're not going away. There will be seasonal changes, yes, and that's what we would expect. So there are going to be spikes of COVID-19 infections for years and years to come now. And uh, in terms of a vaccination, well, whether or not you believe in vaccination is a, is a side note, but I want to just say that um, given our best efforts in the past with, with similar infections, uh, we have not had such a strong uh, uh, impact. Now, for example, I mean, any impact is obviously a good one, but um, I just want to be realistic in terms of what people might expect. Even with the flu vaccine, it's only around 29% effective. And some say it's not even that effective. But those are some statistics you might reach. And, and the vaccine for the flu has been worked on a number of times for years and years. So, I mean, for us to get come right out of the gate with a cure for COVID-19 with a vaccination, it just is not likely going to happen. It's almost, I mean, the statistically significance of that is extremely, extremely low. And um, so it, it, it will require each of us to maintain very strong lungs and cardiovascular health, which you will do through aerobic exercise. And uh, like I just started to, uh, I'm a runner, I've been a runner, I've done marathons and I do the hill running now and you know trail running. But I run now with a mask on that's meant for athletes to give resistance to breathing so that the athlete's lungs expand and their hemoglobin increases due to that resistance. And when I'm not wearing that mask, everything else in life is easier because I'm so strong aerobically. If I were to get COVID-19, it would likely be a very mild problem for me if I even knew about it. So um, very important to do that. Now, some of you, I spoke with a patient this morning over a Zoom consultation. Uh, she can't, she could barely walk. So what I had her do was we got her a resistance device that she blows into that exercises her intercostal muscles, which are the muscles between her ribs and uh, her, her diaphragm. It helps clear her lungs by breathing with this device several times a day. And of course, she's on all the right kind of nutrients for her inflammatory lung disease. Okay, another important, I think, concept to know is as I said earlier, older individuals um, are among the highest risk group, um, particularly those with chronic conditions, diabetes, hypertension, and cancer. And all these conditions are related to poor nutrition and poor nutrition is related to the, these conditions. Tens of millions of people have these problems and they're more susceptible to death when they're exposed to COVID-19 regardless of their age. So when you calculate the number of people with these conditions in the United States and abroad, the amount of death that could have occurred if we didn't practice social distancing would have been far higher. Now, what is interesting to note is that in past epidemics with viruses, uh, 
and there were cities that closed their uh, closed themselves down, essentially like what we're doing now in most places. The rate of COVID nineteen infections and death rate was a given number. Okay, and in cities where they did not close anything, they had a huge, big spike, high, high spike in death rates. But it was about the same as the other cities that practiced essentially social distancing. They didn't call it that. Um, the same amount of people died, but over a much more gradual period of time. So really, in my interpretation, at least, social distancing is delaying the enormous amount of uh, death that will occur. And when I hear individuals comparing COVID-19 to the flu or Ebola or measles or MERS or SARS in numbers, as if comparing them makes COVID-19 any less deadly, meaning it's killing people and a lot of people, and a lot of people getting sick and recovering in the short term, but they have long-term complications is enormous. What's also very interesting is that co-infections such as HIV and AIDS may also be associated with more severe outcomes when they're exposed to COVID-19, according to one study. Uh, But I mean, that's just common sense. Of course, they would have poor outcomes. And optimal nutrition definitely plays an important role in maintaining health among people with all sorts of infections. So it's very important to take a baseline of what your nutrition is. Consuming good quality diets is always desirable and particularly during pandemics. Uh, But when I say that, I mean, it, it certainly needs to start there, but if it only started there, then that's a problem because by the time your body actually improved its immune system, it might take months and months and even years for that to happen. But the diet, of course, should have uh, organic fruits and vegetables, grains, as long as you're not allergic to gluten, for example, legumes, uh, raw nuts, raw seeds, moderate consumption of fish, I would say once a week or twice a week if you're taking oral chelators like N-acetylcysteine, uh, dairy foods, I don't really like their consumption. I think that almond milk is better as a milk choice, but dairy is a good protein source. So you have to make sure that your uh, your grains and your um, vegetables are such that you have uh, a, a good balance of a protein uh, each, pretty much each and every day. As far as poultry is concerned, again, free range. Um, and as far as the intake of meat and uh, processed meat, I would avoid it. Also paying attention to your plant-based proteins to make up for what you're losing uh, with uh, red and processed meats. Refined carbohydrates, sugar, they just have to go. Uh, added fats uh, to your diet should be things like olive oil. Some say canola and soybean oil, but I don't believe those oils are particularly healthy. Olive oil is better. Consuming it raw is best. It should be a Italian imported cold pressed virgin olive oil in a tin. If you ever buy oils in glass, if you can see the oil, so can light. And photons of light oxidize oil. If you, can, if you consume oxidized oil, 
that is about as bad as it gets because oxidation is the cause of all death and destruction throughout the body. That's not an exaggeration. But if you follow generally healthy guidelines, which hopefully you have a little bit better idea of what that might mean, uh, the, the basic healthy things that you know about, but then personalizing it for you, you must see a trained, um, I'd say clinical nutritionist with a, with a doctorate of some type that allows that practitioner to interpret labs. You don't want to see a nutritionist that interprets labs who does not have training in interpreting laboratory work and doing uh, physical exams. You need all of those things to figure things out. So if you eat a diet with the guidelines I've just described to you, that should provide basic amounts of macronutrients and essential minerals and vitamins. Um, but not optimal because I don't know you. I'd have to look at your chemistry. So uh, eating high sources of, uh, again, protein, fat, carbohydrates, help maintain a healthy weight, good metabolic state. And you do not want to be doing any, any fasts at this point unless they are completely needed and they are done under proper supervision. Just a few last points about nutrition. Zinc is manages about 200 different enzymes in the body and it's very important for the use of enzymes and things called transcription factors in cells which help cells you know work appropriately we know that the right amount of zinc the right type of zinc for a particular person once you know their rate of absorption will improve immunity almost in all of them vitamin c will also do the same thing vitamin c is needed for over 3,000 different enzymes not only do you have to improve your vitamin c status testing of vitamin C use in the body because vitamin C can become an oxidant. Yep, vitamin C can become an oxidant. Uh, needs to be managed. Vitamin D, I can't speak enough about it. The dose has to be correct on blood work, about a 70, not just 30 or 35 or 40 or 45 or 50. So the vitamin D has to be D3. And again, whatever other nutrients you need for your particular health problems should be identified and corrected, both in the form of foods and supplementation. So that was a lot of information. I hope it was useful for you. Many of you requested me uh, to cover a bunch of these topics. I took all your questions and I put this show together. So thank you for that. So once again, how you can let me know about the shows you want to hear and get questions to me is you can post your questions up on my blog, on my website at drmichaelwald.com. That's Dr. Michael Wald, W-A-L-D as in David, dot com. You can email me at info at blooddetective.com. If you want to see me as a patient, um, I'm practicing social distancing and masks in the office, or we could do a Zoom consultation, simple, very effective, gets things done. Give me a call at 914-552-1442. And thank you all very much. Remain safe. But be safe by practicing the types of things that we're talking about today with intention. Thanks again, and you take care.